We want to continue in our uh, lessons in Christology. And last time we were together, we looked at the gospel, uh, specifically the gospel under the Old Testament, um, I believe, um, or something like that, something referring to the gospel in the Old Testament. Um, but this evening now, um, we're going to look at uh, the gospel with regard to the benefits of the gospel. Uh, and we're not going to look at every single <clears throat> benefit that the gospel brings to us. We can think about uh, many things that the gospel brings to us as far as benefits go. We can think of justification. Uh, we've, we can think of the righteousness that Christ gives to us, uh, that the Father uh, no longer sees us as an enemy, but sees us clothed uh, in his Son. Uh, thereby, um, he, he loves us uh, in the way that he loves his Son. We can think of sanctification, and that is the Holy Spirit uh, given to us so that we may live properly unto God, but also be conformed to the image of Christ. And we can think of other things as well. Um, but this evening, saints, I want us to consider, and this is something that we all need to keep um, to be reminded of, and we, we need to sometimes be retaught these things. Um, but I want us to consider the doctrine of, uh, of reconciliation and also what follows from that and that is the doctrine of adoption so the great benefit of the gospel the twin benefits we can say is the doctrine of reconciliation and also the doctrine of adoption reconciliation one of the great benefits of the gospel uh, if you were to uh, one goes to uh, uh, to a work site and applies for the job and uh, usually the, the employer will, will tell them of the great benefits that they may receive, uh, health care and, and all these, these, these other things um, that will be of use to them. But saints, what are the benefits of the gospel of Christ? Uh, what, are the, what are the great benefits of believing upon Jesus Christ? And I would say that among all the benefits of Christ, reconciliation uh, is definitely up there as far as uh, some of the, uh, the the top shelf, you can say, uh, benefits of our believing upon Christ and Christ saving us. What is reconciliation? What is reconciliation? Reconciliation, simply put, is the restoration of friendship. Reconciliation is the restoration of friendship. It is the removal of the barrier that separates two parties. To reconcile is to restore that which was lost. And Practically speaking, um, the Bible calls us to be people of reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 37, uh, 32, rather. Uh, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Saints, the great ethic of the Christian life, is indeed love and love shows itself expressly shows itself in forgiveness and in always striving for reconciliation that is to say when one offends us the moment they offend us we must decree within ourselves we must say to ourselves that when that person asks for forgiveness i will be ready and willing to forgive them i will say to myself when i am offended by one I am ready and willing to forgive them. Now, why do I say that? Because it is our Lord. It is our triune God who has decreed 
to forgive us when we sin against him. And we are to have that same attitude uh, when it comes to reconciliation. That when one um, offends us, we say to ourselves, when they come to us in true repentance, I will forgive them. But saints, why do we need to be reconciled? For to be reconciled means someone has offended the other. Someone has offended the other. And friends, has not the greatest offense that has ever been been when our first parents sinned against God in the garden? Has not been the greatest or has not the greatest offense been when our first parents and us in our first parents sinned against God in the garden? Has there ever been in history of man a more heinous, a, a more evil, a more wicked offense than what our first parents committed against God? God gave Adam all that was needed to reach his supernatural end. He placed Adam in a beautiful garden. He gave to him a helpmate. But Adam freely chose to go his own way. Adam allowed the servant to seduce him and his wife. And in that seduction, the desire for complete autonomy was birthed. In other words, the desire to be apart from God, to have an array of options before him without any influence, excuse without the holding of hand of God. Therefore, Adam desired to live according to his own law and so let, ho- let go of the hand of God. And friends, we can say that when Adam let ho- go of the hands of God, it is that moment Adam separated us from God. When Adam <clears throat> chose to let go of, the, of God's hand, then Adam separated us from God. When Adam sinned in the garden, a great wall was built between us and holy God. As a result of sinners, us and Adam, defined by our sin, we are at war with God. In our sin, united to Adam, we are great enemies to God. Colossians 1.21, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Romans 5.10, For if, when we were enemies of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Remember that at one time, you were separate from Christ. Friends, if there's anything that the Bible explicitly says is that we, who once were friends with God, because of Adam and Adam's sin and because of our sin, are now enemies of God. And this is kind of hard for us to really think about. I mean, I'm sure many of you in your life have um, made friends and then eventually you became Enemies. I mean, maybe when you're in fourth grade, fifth grade, or something like that. That tends to happen when we're younger, right? We have best friends, and then we quickly become enemies. And you know what it's like, saints, to live in tension with someone who is your enemy. I mean, we have people across the water and across the pond and across the land who view us, America, as the enemy. And saints, how much more then should we think about our relationship to God when we were enemies to Him. When we were enemies to Him. When God was our enemy. So friends, in light of this, how do we find ourselves back into friendship with God? In light of this dividing wall between sinful man and holy God, this great chasm, this infinite distance between us and God, how does 
the great bridge uh, be reconciled back together. In fact, the more I reflected on this point, saints, the more I thought about, and the more I thought about uh, uh, my grave sin in Adam and the things, not merely that I did, but who I was in relation to God. Have you guys ever thought about that? Not who you, what you did, but your relation to God with respect to who you are and who you were united to. You're united to Adam. So how does God look upon sin in those who sin? And I asked myself in light of this contemplation of who I was in relation to God in my sin in Adam, I asked myself, and how did I ever sleep at night? How did I ever go to bed with peace, knowing that I was at war with God? And at any moment, God could strike me down. At any moment, he can uh, not cause me to wake up. At any moment, he can just wipe me out from the face of the earth before I even repented and believed upon him. That's the thing that we are to plead with our unsafe family members and friends. You understand, family member and friend, that you are at war with God. How are you able to sleep at night? Do you not understand the, the grave war that exists between you and God? And God will ultimately win. God will ultimately win this war. Which now allows us to look at the source of reconciliation. The source of reconciliation. Again, we are at an infinite distance between us and God. We used to be reconciled. We used to, uh, we used to be in friendship with God. Uh, now we are separated from God. Who is the first cause of our reconciliation to God? What's the source of our reconciliation? Paul gives us the answer in 2 Corinthians 5.19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Who's the source? What's the first cause? Again, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. The great source of our reconciliation, saints, is God and God alone. God is the first cause. God is the source of our reconciliation. In other words, saints, it is God and God alone who takes the initiative. God takes the initiative. It is God who offers us peace. It is God who offers us friendship. And this is quite unusual. In fact, this is quite weird, is it not? That God takes the initiative. That God is the cause. Let me give you the reason why it's so weird. Because if you were to come up to me, and if you were to maybe kick me in my shin or punch me in my face or whatever, um, it would be up to you to come to me and say sorry. You see, usually when two parties are separated and two parties are at war with one another, it is usually the offender who goes to the one who's offended and tries to make reconciliation. I can remember when I was a child and I would make my father mad at me and I would, my mother would come up to me and say, hey, you need to go tell him you're sorry when he would be the one <laughs> that would uh, uh, make me mad at times, and he would be the one to offend me, my mom would come to me and say, hey, you need to go tell your dad you're sorry. And I would say to her, I didn't do anything. It's not my fault. Many of you, I'm sure, were younger, when you were younger, thought that way too. Uh, that I didn't do anything. No, that person needs to come up to me. That is only natural and right. But saints, it doesn't work that way with God. Isn't that weird? 
we are the ones that offended God. But God comes to us. We are the ones that offended God. But God comes to us. We are the ones who have distanced ourselves from God. We are the ones who have caused this great separation from God. We are not the offended party. But we are the ones who made the offense. We are the offenders. The great news of the gospel, friends, is that God doesn't wait for us to say sorry. God does not wait for us to say sorry to him. He doesn't wait for us to get our act together. He doesn't give us grace. And then upon that grace and what we do with that grace, he he comes down and gives us more grace and then he applies his son to us. But rather, before we can ever take one step toward God, God comes down to man. But while we were still his enemies, while we were still at war with God, God was making a way of peace for us. God takes the initiative, saints. And thank God that he did. Which one of us would be here if God did not take the initiative? If God did not take the first step towards us? God doesn't help those who help themselves. But it is God and God alone who helps unworthy, sinful people who cannot help themselves. God is the source of our reconciliation. And friends, don't ever let anyone tell you any different. Don't let everyone, anyone tell you any different that, you know, at the moment, technically speaking, at, at, the, um, at uh, the initial justification and the moments of justification, the, the, the beginnings of justification, that it was us and God, me and God, working together. No, it is God that gives to us grace. It is God that provides the road to paradise. It is not us who came to God, but it is God who comes to man. Before we ever made a decision to choose our God, God made a decision for us. God came down to save us. And how does our great Father reconcile us to Himself? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, In Christ God was reconciling the Word to Himself. In Christ. That is how God reconciles us to Himself. The ministry of reconciliation comes from the Father through His Son and then applied by the Spirit. Saints, what a great gift that God gave to man. What a great uh, source of reconciliation that God gave to man. The church father, John Chrysostom, put it this way, He who was without end or beginning of existence, infinite greatness, loved those who were of the earth and ashes, creatures laden with sins innumerable, and the act which springs from the love is equally indicative of its vastness. For God gave not a servant or an angel or an archangel, but he gave his son. You see, saints, the father gives to the world a gift that can never be outmatched. The father gives to this sinful world his son, his, his only begotten son, his natural son, the one that he has never had a dispute with, the one that was always uh, uh, the apple of his eye, the, the one that always lived in, the, in his bosom, this son that he always delighted in, the son that he shares all power and glory with. And saints, again, isn't this a most interesting thought that God pays off the debt that we owe by giving to us his son? As Augustine says, you pay debts while owning nothing. 
In other words, God pays off our debt. I mean, God is actually more generous than America, right? And the American government. The American government is not going to pay off your debt. Our best friends and family members, uh, they're going to be reluctant to pay off our grave debt. But God, in his loving kindness, does something that no one would ever do for us. That is, he gives to us the greatest down payment to pay off the infinite debt that we owe to him. We owe something to him, so God says, okay, I'm going to give you this in order that you may pay me back. God pays off our debt. He gives to us his son. In fact, it was the son who was the only one that could pay off the infinite debt that we owe to God. Our reconciliation was of infinite distance and no angel, no archangel, no man that was fully graced can do for us what the God-man, Jesus Christ, has done for us. And what has our Christ done for us, saints? Well, first and foremost, he became incarnate. And how we think of the incarnation, well, I love the way Thomas um, Goodwin said. He said that in the incarnation, it was, it was heaven and earth. They met and kissed one another, namely God and man. In the incarnation, God and man met in one person. God and man were reconciled in one person. Jesus Christ. And it's important to know, saints, that Jesus Christ came, the eternal Son, wrapped himself in human flesh, but he didn't live in obscurity. He didn't live in a, in a home barely seen. He maybe came out at night, and then when it was time for him to die, he went to the cross. But rather, the eternal Son, the Word, became flesh and dwelt with His people. He interacted with sinful humanity. The one who formed the first man, Adam, from the dust of the ground, takes on human flesh and He walks the dust of Jerusalem. This one, who was the giver of the law, becomes subjected to the law. And friends, throughout the earthly ministry of Christ, everything... Every single thing he did was for us men and our salvation. In fact, if we can sum up the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, we can say that everything he did was for us men and our salvation. From the moment of his conception, saints, to his ascension to the right hand of the Father, our Christ was reconciling sinful man to holy God. And on the cross, our infinite substitute offered an infinite sacrifice of satisfaction to appease our God's infinite justice. Our God shows forth his eternal love for us in Jesus Christ. And it's important to note, saints, that as A.W. Pink says, I actually have on my notes, A.W. Punk, um, <laughs> um, it is not that there was insufficient love, and that was um, Apple's fault, it is not that there is insufficient love, and this is wonderful, it is not that there is insufficient love in God to save sinners without the death of His Son. I, I love that first point there, right? Again, it's not that there is insufficient love in God to save sinners without the death of Christ. In other words, does God need to send His Son in order to show forth His love? But that He determined to save them in such a way as gloriously exhibited his righteousness too. While I agree that the cross exhibits our God's righteousness, while I'll agree that the cross exhibits for us 
uh, God's view of sin and how he detests sin. I also agree that the cross puts on display visibly before the world God's great love. A.W. Pink goes on and says, He did not choose to receive sinners into his favor without giving public expression. Isn't that a beautiful line there? That God does not choose to receive sinners, although God could choose. God could choose to receive sinners, but he did not decree to save sinners and to receive sinners into his favor without giving some public expression of his love towards sinners. He can say, I love you, and reconcile himself us to him, but God says, I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to show forth my love for my people in the public giving of my son. I mean, words can be words, but until words are put into action, then what are the words? Someone can tell, a man can tell his or his girlfriend that I love you so much until uh, the, fian- the, the girlfriend says, okay, if you love me, then put, let's get married. Show your commitment to me. Well, likewise here, saints, God shows forth his love by visibly showing forth his love. Visibly giving us a public expression of his eternal love for us. And saints, in this message, this is the message that we are to preach to the unsaved. In fact, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 21, that Christ, our God, has committed us, uh, he committed us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God through, uh, as though, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are to preach to sinners. We are to preach to the unsaved that Christ has died for sinners like you and I. That our Savior is a friend to sinners. And by His blood, He has opened the gates of paradise. And when you do so, if you preach that message of reconciliation accurately and faithfully, it is not you that is speaking, but it is God through you that is speaking. Friends, this point really highlights the willingness of God to be reconciled to man. This is something, I'm reading a book right now on um, uh, universalism. And one of the questions that keeps arising is that, well, God could save everyone if he chose. God could save if he wanted to, undoubtedly. It's not without the bounds and the power of God to save everyone if he so chose. But is God willing to save everyone? Is God willing to save every single person? We know that God can save us. We know God has the power to bring us back into fellowship with him, but we have to ask saints, is he willing? Is he willing? And the answer is found in God's son, Jesus Christ. When the father sends his son, it was God saying to mankind, I know you have offended me, but I'm willing to forgive you. Isn't that the beauty of what God says to us in giving forth his son? I know that you you have offended me gravely. And I know you are unworthy of forgiveness, but I'm willing to forgive you. Here's my son. In light of present circumstances, in light of our hostility towards God, God sent his son. In fact, this morning I preached on from Ezekiel chapter 1, 
And the context of Ezekiel 1, I appreciate it before. The context of Ezekiel 1 is um, uh, the people of Israel are, have been exiled from Babylon. They're living a thousand miles away from their homeland. And in the minds of the people, they, they, they might be asking themselves, God is not for us any longer. I mean, look at the present circumstances that we're in. We're no longer in our land. There's no more temples, no more priests. Where is God? And God then gives a vision to Israel's prophet and priest. When, when, when all thought that God wasn't there, that God was telling his people that you may have lost your land, Israelites, but you have not lost me. And saints, that is how we are to think of God sending forth his son. That yes, even though you have lost friendship with me, even though I have kicked you out of the garden, I have locked the doors, shut all the windows, you have not ultimately lost me. You've lost the garden. You've lost supernatural grace. You've lost the rewards that I was to offer to you. But you have not finally lost me. And how do we know that? Again, Jesus Christ. God says, you have not fully and ultimately lost me because I, have, I am giving to you my son. I'm giving to you my son. What this means, saints, that is, God is not limited to present circumstances. God is not limited by circumstances. Maybe you've been praying for years of your unsafe family member or friend, and you have yet to see any fruit. Maybe you've been praying for years for yourself that God would cleanse you and remove you from this sin that, that keeps being a thorn to your side. Friends, know that no one is beyond the saving grace of God, but also no one's beyond the help of God. In light of present circumstances, in light of present conditions, God is not limited in any way, shape, or form. Now, friends, as we move on, what is the great news of reconciliation? What is the, what the ending point, the apex of reconciliation? Because we want to think that the gospel news and the good gospel news, rather, stops at reconciliation. That those who are at war with God are now at peace with God. That is great. But does it get any better than that? And of course it does. The great apex of the gospel is found in 1 John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we would be called children of God. Friends, the great apex of reconciliation is adoption. The great apex of reconciliation. Where does reconciliation lead to? It leads to adoption. It is when we are given the privilege to, uh, to call God, not merely the God of heaven and earth, but our heavenly Father. When our God no longer sees us as criminals, but he sees us as a child. You see, friends, the doctrine of adoption teaches us that there is a, a rich closeness between us and God that our Christ has reconciled us to such a close proximity with God that he's not simply our God but he's our father he's our father Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 5 he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will 
by the blood of Christ, we have been adopted into our Heavenly Father's family. Which means, as one theologian says, and we're going to start unpacking this more in our Christology uh, lessons, becoming a Christian means coming into the Father-Son relationship. We might think of Christianity and becoming a Christian simply meaning, well, I get to go to heaven, which is true. But the way in which we are to think about becoming a Christian means that we, we are coming into the father and son relationship. In other words, becoming a Christian means to reach our supernatural end. That is, to participate in the mutual love relationship between the father, son, and Holy Spirit. And friends, this is the gospel's highest and greatest promise. This was what was offered to Adam, a, a hyphen communion bond. Well, saints, now that we who have believed upon Christ are now united to Christ and share in the filial love relationship between the Father and the Son. We are not simply friends with God, saints. That is not merely what defines our relationship. But what defines our relationship is a real child-to-parent relationship. A real child-to-parent relationship. We were at war with God. And a lot of you all, when you make reconciliation with your friends, sometimes you're not really friends again. But God reconciles us to himself. And we go beyond friendship to now a child of God. We actually are closer to God now than Adam was in the garden because of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Friends, uh, as we come to a close, um, as we continue in our series in Christology, my plan is to further unpack this truth and all these truths. What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a son and daughter of God? What is our supernatural end? What does it mean to be united to Christ? What all encompasses salvation? What is the gospel's promise and great reward? But for us this evening, saints, as, I, as we close, this is the truth that we are to keep at the forefront of our minds. That when all is going bad for us, and even when all is going well for us, remember that we have been reconciled to God. And it was not our own doing, but it was God and Christ before we can ever choose to be reconciled to God God was reconciling us to him and he showed forth a public visible expression of his great love first and foremost for himself but also for us he sends forth his son and he reconciles us to him and practically speaking saints not only are we to contemplate on these things but also let us be people of reconciliation let us be people that do not hold grudges for an extended period of time. Let us say within ourselves, just as God had decreed, we will forgive them. When they come to me in forgiveness, you can even say, I virtually forgive you, but not yet actually forgave you. Of course, forgiveness comes when one asks for it, but saints, let us be like our God who has forgiven us um, and let us also love our God in the way, and love people as well the way that God has loved us. Let's pray.